the question is, Daryl, who is innocent? Who's innocent? What does that even mean? What is the what does the concept of innocence mean when you think about like Emmett killing people and Conchu killing people? What is innocence? What does that entail? What does that mean? Welcome to the Story Geek Show. On today's show, with Egyptian gods and celestials now entering the MCU alongside Eternals, I'm kind of wondering who the uh, most powerful characters are now. And this is a standard thing we do in comic books. We talk about the most powerful characters and we make power rankings and all this kind of stuff. We're going to do that today on this show. We're also going to be reacting and digging deeper into episode two of Moon Knight. So it's all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe today. It's a very Marvel-centric show. And as always, we will be talking about spoilers for all of the things that we're discussing in today's show. So if you haven't seen episode two of Moon Knight yet, you may want to watch that before you listen or watch this particular show. I'm Jay Shear, co-writer of Death of a Bounty Hunter and Time Slingers. They're on the desk here beside me if you're watching. Um, and joining me today, I'm pretty excited about this because it's been a little while since he and I have podcasted together, but he is one of the originators of the Story Geeks podcast Mr. Daryl Smith is joining today. What's up? How are you, Daryl? I'm good. Can you hear me? Tell me you can hear me. I can hear you. You're, you're, you're loud and clear. <laughs> you're loud and clear. Had to do a last minute mic switch right before. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we got are, lucky. We're very agile on the show. We're very agile. Um, thanks for joining me today. It's been a long time since you and I got to chat about geek stuff. It has. It ha I'm glad you brought this back. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to be on it again. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, you know what you was deserted happening? us here in California. And... <laughs> I did, I did. I left California, traveled across the entire country. Um, yeah, what what happened was I haven't explained this in the show yet, but but just to briefly explain why I'm bringing it back is I started concentrating on the how stories work with Jay Shear channel, which is yeah. which is cool. I like doing that stuff, but it's so isolating that it's like it's like stop being fun. It's like I like talking to people. Like I like being I like having a conversation with other people about like what's going on. Um, so I was like, I gotta bring it back and like talk to talk to my friends. So um, thanks for thanks for being willing to join me on the show. Um, totally. Now you've seen episode two of Moon Knight. I have. Yes. We're gonna get into that. Um, and we're gonna actually start there because we're gonna talk about the Marvel power rankings too. And I had to have somebody on who really knows the Marvel power. I started looking it up. Oh, and I'm see, like, don't oh my set gosh, me up like that. <laughs> well, you at least know it way better than I do. So well, here's the thing: um, the, the farther the MCU goes the yeah. less reliable I am as a source. Because <laughs> I grew up reading DC comics. You can see all this stuff behind me. This is mostly DC comics. I got yeah. a little section of Marvel over here. But That's, yeah. So the deeper these movies go into the Marvel universe, <laughs> the more useless I become. But I'm going to do my best. Yeah, yeah. You're going to do a great job. You're going to do way better than I, than I would do. Um, but we're going to start with Moon Knight. Uh, and just really quickly, before I get into the questions with Moon Knight, how have you been enjoying it? Because I've already talked about how I enjoyed it, but what did you think of episode two? What do you think of episode one? Like, how do you think? What do you think of the series in general? I love it. I think it's great. I really, really liked episode one. I think that's one of the strongest first episodes of any show I've ever seen. Hmm. Which I think I watched a little bit of you and Josh from earlier in the week, and I think he had a similar thing to say. But yeah. um, I thought that first episode was fantastic. The second one, um, I really loved it too. I can tell that. Now it's getting to the point where we need to learn more and things are going to start getting more revealed. So the mystery is gone, but we don't know everything yet. So, you know, yeah, that one was like maybe like a 10, two yeah. was like maybe like a nine, but it's great. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I didn't show. I did I also didn't like episode two as much as I liked episode one, but I mean it was very much a like you're saying, it's like a transitory episode. Is that even a word? It's like a transition yeah. episode, right? Like we're getting yeah. somewhere, but we're going there kind of slowly and we needed to have an action sequence and we needed to reveal, you know, the other the other costume, you know what I mean? The, the kind of goofy costume where he, yeah. he has like a he looks like a like a stage performer of some kind. Um and Oscar Isaac is fantastic. Oh, he's amazing. So, he's amazing. So yeah. Good. He's amazing. This and is going to wipe away all thoughts of X-Men Apocalypse, hopefully. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which by the way, he was not terrible in, but it had <laughs> massive problems. Everything was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was an odd film. Um so before we dive into episode 2 and get too far into that, um you had told me before we were going to podcast cuz I I invited you a couple weeks back and you said, "Hey, you might want to check out um jeff lemire's run on moon Knight, which which mm-hmm. uh is pretty recent i believe it's in the last few years um and yeah within the last five or six maybe something like that yeah something like that and 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 actually i think it was on the empire podcast so shout out to our friends at empire who we haven't had a chance to talk to in a long time it'd be really great to, to well, talk now to that you brought this back you know i know we're gonna have to invite them on again if we were if we we're gonna talk to talk to the empire empire folks then i'm bringing you back on to talk to them with me yeah yeah um <laughs> but uh i believe it was on empire they were talking to the creator and the creator referenced um lemire's run as as influential to this to this particular series because my understanding, and this is what I'm, this is the question I'm going to turn on you, is like, what comics should people read related to Moon Knight? Because it sounds like, you know, he was a character that was introduced in a werewolf comic um, as like a like a like a, somebody who was going to battle werewolf, and then apparently, based on what I understand, where I can gather, he's taken on all these different kinds of characterizations before he hit the Lemire run. And that's kind of a more specific thing that now Marvel's kind of saying is part of the MCU. So you've read the Lemire run. Tell me about Moon Knight from the comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. First of all, I will say the Lemire run is out there. Ah. It's weird. Hmm. And um, which is why I'm having a hard time remembering a good yeah. portion of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of comic writers who write stuff that's like really heady and really complicated and it's brilliant. I mean, Tom King did that with Mr. Miracle and with some other characters and, and Jonathan Hickman's doing it with the X-Men. And so there's lots of stuff out there that is brilliant and super creative. I don't know if my attention span is just too short or if I'm just, I don't know what it is, but I have a hard time with those stories that get so complex. And I think this was one of those. So Mm. Mm. I don't remember a whole lot from it. And I had never read any Moon Knight before that. Yeah. Um, I know there are lots of different runs. I know there's lots of uh, really, really good writers that have taken on Moon Knight over the years. So a quick Google will help anybody find those. But um, yeah, yeah, the Lemire run, I'm pretty sure is... So in this second... Can we talk spoilers already? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in the second episode, you see this new incarnation of the Moon Knight suit, right? Right. The one that's like the nice suit and tie and stuff like that. It's like Steven's version of Moon Knight. Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's straight out of the Lemire run. Oh, in okay. fact, I seem to remember when the trailers came out and that was in it, the artist that designed that look was posting online saying like, I can't believe they used my look in the show. I'm so excited, you know, and stuff like that's that. That's cool. But that's cool. 
So um, the Lemire run was definitely very multiple personality based. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the look of the Egyptian gods seems pretty similar. It was very trippy. Mm. At times, very hard to understand what was going on. Mm. Uh, the TV show seems way more accessible than the run was, but yeah, I can I can see it in there for sure. So far, that's been pretty true of the entire MCU, right? Like the, yeah. the MCU takes some things that could like even the even the Infinity Gauntlet uh, series is way trippier and way more out there. Yeah, there you go. You got the, the prop. It's way more out there than the actual Marvel films. And oh yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and 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 it's all based on like for those who haven't read it. Uh, this is not major spoiler because it's in the very beginning of the of the series but it's all based on the fact that like thanos is trying to become powerful so that he can get death to love him <laughs> yeah, death is a female it's, entity <laughs> yeah exactly it's such a it's such a bizarre it's such a bizarre deal um so so lemire's run is a good run to read if you want to know what's influencing where the mcu is taking the character of moon knight but definitely and i know so there's one run. I can't tell you who wrote it. I wish mm -hmm. I could. I wish I was a better Marvel fan, but I do know who drew it. There's an artist named David Fincher and the mm -hmm. way that he draws moon, not David Fincher. Sorry. That's it's a director. A director. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll pretend his name I, is David Fincher. <laughs> oh, Finch. It's yeah. Finch. Okay. Not Fincher. Finch. Okay. But anyway, his art is fantastic. The way he draws Moon Knight is amazing, but there's been lots of runs. So um, it did really feel like uh, we'll get. This wasn't one of the questions I had for you, but it did really feel like the one chase sequence when Mark Spector takes over Moon Knight um, from Steven and he runs along the rooftops. That did feel like right out of a comic book. Like it looked like it was like a panel yeah. for panel shots. Um, I did really enjoy that because I think that was the action sequence, the big action sequence in um episode one that i didn't really enjoy because i thought that the cg on some of the cars was kind of funky was the whole chase scene you know that was um, one of those ones too that i have a hard time with action scenes that are just a little bit beyond the realm of believability yeah. and i know that sounds crazy when we're talking about marvel movies but <laughs> there is a line like there's a line at which you're like well okay that van should not be able to maneuver like that and he should have fallen off that road nine times yeah Especially when he's switching back and forth between profiles, and it's like, well, you don't do that very fast. Yeah. You wouldn't know that the turn is coming up. Yeah. There's one point in time where there's one of the one of the cars chasing him, like literally drives off the cliff for no apparent reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we don't we don't know why it happens. So we know there's a cliff there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought that was really funny. But anyways, that that sequence I thought was you know it was fun, but it was not my favorite kind of action. But this sequence where um, where Mark basically runs away from uh, the jackal. And he's running along the top of the building. I thought that was a beautiful sequence. I really, really enjoyed that. I love the one in the second episode where he's in the storage facility. Oh yeah, that, that was awesome was too. Crazy. Yeah, that one's awesome too. I think the the horror vibes we're getting from Moon Knight are really strong, but they're not so overly strong that it's inaccessible to a general audience. You know? Yeah. Um. So talk to me about this because where do you think that Moon Knight will fit? with the rest of the MCU. Cause what we know about the MCU is they like to introduce us to a character. Now they've reversed this a little bit cause they, in the movies they introduce characters and they spun off into TV shows. But this is going back to the like, phase one where we get phase one and two where we get introduced to a character that we don't really know. <laughs> and then nobody's not a lot of people have read. And then 
that character is then hopefully incorporated into the rest of the MCU. So how do you think Moon Knight gets connected to the rest of the MCU? We know we have the Black Knight series coming out, right? That's Kit, Kit Harrington's character that he's going to mm-hmm. be playing. So where does Moon Knight come in? Is he gonna is he gonna be part of this whole thing, or is he gonna be like this is a one off? I don't know. I mean, Moon Knight is the very first title character to be introduced into the MCU via a Disney Plus show. Yeah. So that's that's, that's a first. Um, so I don't know. I mean, in some sense, they kind of don't have to connect it, right? I mean, true. The larger this gets, the more impossible it gets to keep it all together. <laughs> Right, And so, I don't know, and I've said this before, but in a lot of ways, I think we got our big shared universe payoff in Avengers Endgame. And we may, right. not, we may not get something like that again. They may not be building towards something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, there certainly seems to be a lot of Doctor Strange vibes in Moon Knight. Yeah. Like, you'd think That's he true. could come into that. And I know I've heard rumblings of Midnight Suns, which is... Um, some sort of Marvel team. There's a video game coming out about it. There's some sort mm. of Marvel team that has like these darker sort of nocturnally characters like Blade mm. and uh, I think Wolverine's one of them. I don't know. Again, I'm... Oh, that'd be cool. Sorry, Marvel fans. I wish I was a better representative <laughs> for you, but... <laughs> no, you're good. Um, um, so yeah, I don't know. And I think historically Moon Knight has been in and out of things like the Avengers and stuff like that in the comics, but I don't know. I don't know how it'll integrate. But I, would, I would be surprised if we're building towards towards some huge end game ish. Let's get everybody in one movie again. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. That'd be really difficult to do, and it'd be, you know, I've always complained about this, and this is one of the reasons why I've been a bigger in like uh, individual series run fan of DC. And I'm not a big comics guy, but that's kind of like my vibe. I don't like as much these giant like add everybody in you know like add every single character in because it's, it's like i get lost and, and all that yeah. um but what i do think would be really cool is i do think it would be cool to take some of the um what you'd call like c-level characters and moon knight probably is they're making him into a b-level character but historically he's probably been c-level character um it'd be cool to take some of these c-level characters like like for example um i don't know if his, what's his name u.s agent or whatever the guy from Mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier, take yeah. him, put him in a series with Moon Knight. You know, take somebody from, uh, put, put I mean, Daredevil's more a level, but put Daredevil in a series with these guys, like because th- these these kind of shows have had very grounded city vibes, even though like there's Egyptian gods, they still have like the city is like a is like a is like a part of the story, and his interaction in the city is part of the story. Moon Knight may go beyond that because obviously at the end of episode two we're seeing him in Egypt. Yeah. But um, but I kind of think that these characters would work well in the same world, in the same series. I don't think it makes as much sense to like all of a sudden stick Captain America in here. Right? Like that seems like a big yeah. disconnect, right? <laughs> so I will say, I mean, yeah, it does seem like Marvel loves to build towards things, and obviously yeah. they're they're still pushing the interconnected thing. You talk about somebody like U.S. Agent John Walker is his name in yeah. the comic world. If, if, if you've read the comics and even as, as a casual Marvel fan as I am, I know that John Walker is a part of this version of something they could be building called the Thunderbolts or the Dark Avengers, which is basically like mm. these sort of uh, anti-hero-ish characters coming together to form sort of a questionable, almost yeah. villainistic version of the Avengers. 
So that's him. That's um, Yelena Belova, who is Black Widow's sister. Um, uh, Thunderbolt Ross, who in the comics is actually the Red Hulk, but I don't know if we're going to get that because William Hurt unfortunately passed away oh, recently. That's right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They may not go down that road. Um, so there's a handful of those characters, and it certainly seems like they're doing that. That's cool. What I like about Moon Knight is there's no easy way to see what they're doing. And right. I kind of like that. I kind of like that they have a character that they can just focus on that character. I mean, sure, there's the possibility that they can incorporate him, and it'd yeah. be fun if they do, but his story is not dependent on that being his future. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. And then to put somebody as good as, as, as uh, Oscar Isaac right in the middle of it. I know. He's so good. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> he's really amazing. All right. So with that, with that, with that kind of stuff out of the way, if you want to read, you know, if you want to go in and see where does uh, Moon Knight fit in the MCU, we don't know yet. But we do know that Lemire's run is something you can read if you want to see what influenced um, this series. Now we're going to go into full story geeks mode, and I'm going to ask you these crazy deep questions. And there's several of them that came up last night. I'm going to start with um, one of them. And that can totally be totally unprepared for them. So Yeah, I well... I don't even think I know what they are. You didn't send them to me. No, I didn't because there, there was such a fast turnaround time for yeah. this that I wasn't able to send it er, as early as I usually do. But um, but it's okay because this can be a this can be a full discussion. Um, there's so many things that were said in this show that are interesting thematically, philo philosophically, and even spiritually that I think we we have to address them. So in episode two, we learn that Amit and Khonshu do have a similar goal as egyptian gods they do have a similar goal we also did learn that um khonshu was uh basically exiled from the group of gods i don't know if they're going to call that the ennead they didn't call it that in episode two but khonshu was apparently exiled for some reason that we don't know um but both of them both of them want to punish the unjust both of them want to punish the unjust Amit and her avatar, who's Arthur Harrow, who, by the way, used to be <laughs> used to be Khonshu's avatar. So he's kind of yeah. like just he's kind of just uh, cruising around to different Egyptian gods being their avatars. Um, Amit as and Ethan Hawke does. <laughs> as Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In his personal life. I think that's yeah. I think he said that publicly. Um, he hasn't said that publicly. Um, they want so Amit and Arthur want to remove. This is what he actually says. Remove people's choices by preventing them from choosing evil so i'm going to circle back around to that because that in and of itself is fascinating that's not my question actually yet because Kanshu then wants to punish people after they've committed an evil act and then steven asks this really fascinating question and this is what i want to get further into because he says well what about innocent people and i find that question really really interesting because when it comes to judgment from spiritual entities when spiritual entities because these are egyptian gods once worshipped by humans maybe still worshipped by some humans when gods are judging humans the question is daryl who is innocent who's innocent what does that even mean what is the what does the concept of innocence mean when you think about like Amit killing people and Kanchu killing people what is innocence? What does that entail? What does that mean? Like, what, how should we think about innocence? I mean, it, it seems like it would have to be perfection, right? Because mm. you have one God who's punishing what you've already done and mm. one God who is punishing you for anything you're going to do. Right. It certainly doesn't seem like Ahmet has a 
a scale, right? Like something is evil enough. Like if you're going to kill somebody, then I'll go ahead and get rid of you now. Right. If you're going to cheat on your taxes, eh, maybe I'll let that go. But <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a scale. So it seems like the only way to be innocent is to be perfect, mm. Mm. which is not a thing. <laughs> well, that's what I find so interesting because even as Stephen, even as Stephen asked the question, he said, "Like, well, what about babies? Like, you're going to kill babies?" And and I think it's setting up an interesting philosophical conflict. Because, and I say I, I, I say that because we can pretty much tell that Amit lives in the world of what I would call fantasy. Um, it is a world that assumes that we could create heaven on earth and that a utopia is possible right this is like as if as if we could if we could only eliminate all the evil people then there would be heaven because then there wouldn't be any evil people but the first question i'd have to ask is like well what is innocence in your eyes because like you said that doesn't seem to be a definition so then i'm then i'm wondering like well what if we just have a difference of opinion right like what if there's something that's kind of minor um, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and this is something that people will take two sides on listening to this podcast. We're driving along and there's a lady driving next to us who had her dog, her little dog on her lap. And my wife said, oh, I hate it when people do that. The dog is really cute and it's looking out the window, but I hate it when people do that because it's so unsafe for the dog. Like, cause if you get in a car accident, dog's probably dead. Right. And I thought to myself, I, I, I made it, I, of course, what I, this is what I do. I go, yeah, so interesting question. Is that a sin? Right? Like, is it a sin to put your dog on your lap knowing that because the dog is comforting you, so you feel good about the dog being on your lap? But objectively, we know it's more dangerous to do. I feel good about responding to a text while I'm driving, but we know objectively it's not good to respond to text while you're driving because you're gonna you might kill somebody else. And so so she was kind of like, Well, I don't know if it's a sin, right? Like, is it what so so she has this lady has an opinion i want my dog on my lap we have an opinion you shouldn't have your dog on your lap does amit say oh yeah well i side with uh the lady driving the car so jay and jessica you're actually in the wrong so you're going down i mean how would you even how would you even begin so what i'm asking basically asking is and i think what you alluded to is we don't know what amit's actual morale moral standard even is yeah it's totally and what's the point puzzling. too? Yeah. What's the point? Because so far, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that that Moon Knight, you know, whether it's Stephen Grant or Mark Spector or whoever it turns out to be, yeah. will be some sort of the vessel for this in the show. But so far, it's just um, some nebulous version of right, an absolute right. version of wrong, right. and no way to travel between the two. There's no yeah. way. There's no way to improve. There's no redemption. There's no sanctification. Yep. There's no way to get yourself off of Ahmet's naughty list or Kanchi's <laughs> naughty list. You know what I mean? Like you're right. either going to die after you do it or you're going to die before you do it. Either way, you suck and you're going to get punished for it. <laughs> right. So how do you grow beyond that? There's got yeah. to be something. Like why does that exist if not to make everything better overall? You know yes. what I mean? Well, and that's a, that's an even more fascinating question because what they're kind of showing you in the show, and I think that there's a there's a dark underbelly that they have not revealed yet. But what they're kind of showing you in the show is that Amit's version is actually seemingly a little bit better for people than so far, because I think they're going to reveal something else soon, and I'll talk about what that I think they're going to do. 
Um, but Amit's version through Arthur, they live in a cool little commune, man. Like all those people are, are supposedly never going to do anything bad in the future. And that little commune is pretty nice. Now, I think there's a dark side to that. I'll get into that in a minute. But you'll notice that Mark Spector, on the other hand, is is not because of his multiple, I don't know, I don't know what the, the technical term is, not multiple personality disorder or whatever it's called. Dissociative right? disorder. Yeah, disassociative. Thank you. Yeah. But you can tell Mark is suffering, not necessarily from that, but from the fact that he's having to work for Conchu. He does not want Layla to work for Conchu. So he doesn't believe Conchu is 100% good. And he right. flipped out on Steven in the courtyard when Steven was talking to him through the mirror. <laughs> To the point where you go, well, this guy is not this guy's not doing well, right? Like he's he feels like he has to do something on behalf of Kanchu. Kanchu actually says to him, You think you own this body? It belongs to me. Um, so so Mark definitely feels like he is possessed to the point where he has to do things against his will. Steven for sure feels like he has to do things against his will. Um and I think that the dark underside of the Amit, because we, because right now I can't find a reason why Amit is technically wrong. Besides, it seems really creepy. And I think it's going to be that that they're actually mind controlling those people to prevent them from doing evil. I think that's going to be because you notice oh, that yeah, every single, yeah, because every single person got up and like acted like they were like, oh great, we're gonna something's gonna happen, right? Like, they, but they all did so like in unison, like they kind of move in unison, which kind of tells me like that they may be even having some possession issues from Amit's side, um, or at least that Arthur is kind of influencing them in some way. So, so yeah, so so going back to what you said, um, innocence seems like it must be perfection. And, and if it's not, then who gets to decide? Who gets to decide whose version of morality is best and 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 how would you so as we watch these kind of shows they're usually dealing with some sort of value system right like like this is what here superheroes deal with all the time you and i have talked about this a lot and you and i have even come up with like what the definition of a hero is and what the definition of a villain is and we've talked a lot about that on the show but when you think about like a moral standard that these that these gods could be trying to uphold in your mind like what what about that moral standard should we be paying attention to in the show? Like, what should we, what are some of the things that you would say are associated with a high moral standard that you and I, and most people would agree is a good high moral standard? It's hard to know because I don't even feel like we know what people are being punished for. Like there was mm. that old lady, right. That in the first episode that yeah. Harrow, he read her and then he killed her. We right. don't know why he didn't say what she was going to do. Right. That was going to qualify her as evil. And, and also, by the way, how did she live so long before doing something that <laughs> counts as evil? I mean, she wasn't young, but anyway, that's beside right. the point. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know what those standards are because we don't really get those answers. Mm. Um, and uh, I think, I think what's interesting about it is there's going to have to be some version of redemption brought into this to help make sense of it um because otherwise i just don't understand why it's happening you know what i mean like totally like it seems like that stephen grant is sort of the he's crazy they you know they want us to believe that he's crazy and this stuff right. is his brain is broken and stuff like that but really if you look at it he's kind of the only one that's not crazy right like he's <laughs> exactly. the only one that sees the hole and yeah. knows that wait a minute this is stupid like why are we doing all this? Like, what about the chance for people to get better? Yeah, you know exactly. 
And I just, I refuse, refuse, that sounds harsh. I don't <laughs> think this is the kind of show that's going to overlook that. You know what I mean? Totally. I think the quality of this is going to bring that in eventually. This isn't the Batman. I don't think they're going to completely overlook redemption and just talk about vengeance for three hours. Sorry. <laughs> no, you got to do it. You got to do it. Not well, I did, I did think it was interesting that this show is dealing with vengeance and that movie was dealing with vengeance as well. I thought that was an interesting, like, what about our culture is feeling like vengeance is something that we need to address and, and at this point in time. Um, and I think it's important because I think that what the Batman was saying was we see the genuine, I mean, Batman is, you got, you cannot convince me otherwise that Batman was trying to say that the January 6th rioters were essentially Riddler's followers, <laughs> obviously different things going on. I don't think the January 6th rioters were trying to kill people. Um, although they very much threatened some of the politicians, um, but it was a, it was a, and and the the end goal was kind of like, look, vengeance isn't the isn't the way we, the way we should behave. Like vengeance isn't the value system that we all think would be better. Um, and I do think that's a message that we need because I mean, like, even when you see someone that has been as respected, culturally speaking, in America as Will Smith slap somebody on the face in the Oscars, you'd go. Dude, vengeance isn't just like you can't just you can't just do vengeance whenever you want. You can't just get vengeance whenever you want to. Like, what are we taught? What are we doing here? You know? So I think you're right. I think that they need to solve. I think Kanshu is is definitely not good. Even when he says, You think you own this body, but it belongs to me. Even when he says that, it's like that is not something that we are going to as humans say, Oh, wait a minute. You're saying someone owns someone else's body? Like we have an inherent reaction of like, that's not right, right? Mm -hmm. Um and I think this is what's really fascinating about being a human being is that like I was talking about this a little bit with Josh and you and I are more aligned on our spiritual perspectives than Josh and I would be right because he's more of a secular humanist like we talked about on the show. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower. So when I look at these things, I instantly ask myself like what value system is it that Kanshu believes he can stand for? What value system is it that Amit thinks that she can stand for and then how does that match up against what my value system would be right yeah so well, that's the weird thing about gods in the yeah. marvel universe um and i think in the dc universe too any of these things is um it it, it seems like gods are all powerful right and they can do right. all these things we'll talk about that more later on but they have all of this power and they create things and they're at the center of creation and there's all these things they can do and they're absolute. Yeah. But they have zero nuance. Like all of the Crazy. nuance comes from humanity. Yes. So, yes. And I think, um, you know, God, as you and I believe in him mm -hmm. is way more nuanced than we will ever be, ah. you know, mm. or he understands more nuance than we ever will. Mm. Like he's, He's more absolute. He's more, he's perfect. We're not like we screw up. He doesn't screw up. I, you know, he's better than we are, but I don't think he is oblivious mm. to the nuance that comes with trying to, to, um, accept his gift and live by the standards that he sets forth. Like he understands what that looks like for us. Whereas gods in these comics and stuff like that, it seems like they have something to learn from humanity. <laughs> right so so it's a weird 
I don't know if that answers your question. Honestly, I don't remember what your question was. But... Well, 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 at this point, we're just off. We're off the questions. That we're just talking about yeah. this concept because I think. Well, this is you're getting in a concept that I think is really fascinating, and that is that uh, when we see the stories of the Egyptian gods, which was a major spiritual belief system, you know, this is we're talking like 2000 BC and even further back. Um, and I'm not a historian, so don't quote me on that. Go look it up if you want to know the exact time frame. But I'm just giving you context. It's like this goes way, way back. In that in that time frame, uh, whether and then we saw like the Norse gods, which you know Thor is going to be a Norse god, um, the representative of a Norse god eventually. Um, when we see those, those gods are actually, uh, I'm going to say they're written. Somebody might be might might believe that they're actually gods that exist. I'm going to say that they're written. I'm going to say that these are not true gods. That they're that they are written by human beings to understand the world a little bit better. That's what it feels like to me. And why does yeah. it feel like that to me? It feels like that to me because they're very human behaving, <laughs> right? Like 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 they act like humans. They 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 get in affairs with each other. Like if you go read about the Egyptian gods. Definitely that society was trying to tell itself things about what it should be and how it should be and how they should behave, which are generally speaking what gods um, do, right? They tell us like what moral systems we should think about and, and adhere to. And these gods seem very human in their behavior. They don't seem like, like, for example, I think you and I would say that there is not a, there's not there's nuance, like you said, but there's not a moral quandary about like what God should do or he shouldn't do. Right, right. But Khonshu is like, he seems like he might be wrestling with what he should do or shouldn't do. Like, and Amit too, like they, they seem like they have different perspectives and they're both gods. So, Or even if they're not wrestling with it, they have no regard for how it affects their subjects or correct, their people. Correct. Which is completely antithetical to God as we believe in him. Like, Yeah. Yes, he's absolute. Yes, he has standards. Yes, he's set apart. Um, but the gospel story, right? Yeah, he yeah. made a gigantic sacrifice to create a way for us to still have access to his goodness. Exactly. Well, and, and to that point, too, like if you start to look at. So so what what I would argue is, and this is why I think we as humans reject the idea that Amit's view is a good idea is that if those people end up being highly controlled, then yes, they can prevent the ability of doing evil. If if Amit, let's just say Amit, let's just assume for a second that Amit had a perfect idea of how human beings should behave. Because you and I would say, we believe that God has a perfect way for humans to behave. Mm -hmm. we, now we would also both say that no human is capable of achieving that, right? So, yeah. so, so that's what we would say. But let's just say for a second that Amit had the same perspective as what we believe God has, which is a perfect view of how humanity should interact with each other and with him, or with, in this case, with her. Then if Amit says, I'm going to eliminate all the evil people and anybody who I don't eliminate I therefore have to remove the choice of them to do evil. Well, now we're going all the way back to what we would call the Garden of Eden scenario, right? And that is that is that in order for you to have free will, you sort of have to be able to do evil, right? Whether it's intentional or not intentional, 
you, you have, have to have, have a choice. You have to have a choice. Otherwise, you're an automaton. You're not any different than a robot, right? And then the struggle is, how do I choose to do good? And and by the way, that's not like easy, difficult. That's like nuanced levels of like, well, in this situation, do I have to behave differently than in the situation I encountered yesterday? And the truth is, you probably do have to interact differently. Um, and I think what's interesting about the Amit Khonshu scenario is that you said earlier, because you said there's no opportunity for redemption, nor is there opportunity for sanctification. Sanctification being the process of becoming a better human, right? right um, yeah. And that's a fascinating insight, I think, because what it means is, is that neither Amit nor Khonshu allows for what we would say god allows for and that is for us to be repentant and us to say i did sin i shouldn't have sinned i need to make restoration uh, with someone else because of my sin and that's doesn't seem to be on the table with either of these two gods <laughs> at this point in time yeah and if it's not then to to uh to quote you what is their why like yeah what's the what's the point like why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they punishing humanity? Do they care about right. humanity and love it to some degree so that they want it to be a certain way? Exactly. If that's the case, all you're doing is killing everybody. So yeah, you're not yeah. you're not improving anything. You're not giving anybody a chance to to learn your ideal and come up to it. You right. know what I mean? Right. So that's missing. And yeah. then it doesn't even seem like they really love humanity. Honestly, they seem pretty annoyed by humans. So yep, it's yep. just kind of like, what's the point? Which I think is part of what's going on in Stephen's head is he learns more about what's going on around him. He's like, yes. this is crazy. Yes. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Because I don't think um, Marvel, the Disney Marvel Feige machine is going to give us a story that is 100% about vengeance no. <laughs> with no redemption whatsoever. I just, no. They're just not going to do that. I mean, yeah. they gave us Bucky Barnes, you know. They're not going <laughs> to exactly, do something like exactly. that. Exactly. So. No, it seems like what it's what it's gearing up to be. Um, what it seems like it's gearing up to be is that this person with um, dissociative disorder is fighting this internal battle of like, I feel compelled to, th there's a God that saved me from death. And I feel like I am compelled to, as Conchie says, your body belongs to me. And if I don't serve him, then he's going to get Layla. And I can't have that happen. So I have to distance myself from all of those people and follow this guy, even though I don't want to. But hopefully he'll release me from my contract and we can kind of just, just let it go at that. And what it feels like is that Steven is the part of the Mark Spector Steven individual that is basically saying this is there is a right way and it's none of the ways that everybody else is talking about and everybody may perceive me as the crazy one but i'm technically the one that should be in control of this body because i would be doing the most righteous things with it right yeah. um and i think what's going to have to happen is is that we feel like steven is the weak one and that mark is the strong one and i think what they're basically sh showcasing in this show is that without Steven, Mark would be a complete psychopath and it would never, things would never go the way that they, that they should go. So that's what I'm thinking is going to happen in this show. That's the way that we're going to go is that, you know, Steven's going to be the one that's the good guy and Mark's going to be the one that needs to learn how to adapt 
and they'll need to work like work learn to work together. But any any other takes on episode two that you want to throw out there? I don't know. I was just thinking about the opposite of that. That's interesting that without Steven, Mark would be a psychopath. It seems like without Mark, Steven would be a pretty happy, normal dude. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. He would have gone on a date with a nice girl, works at a museum, seems like a nice guy. He's kind to everybody. I'm like, I don't, I don't really see what Mark brings to the table that Steven's missing. But Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Unless there's some sort of like... Um maybe confidence or right right yeah. exactly exactly we did get a question from a facebook user for some reason Streamyard a lot of times will block facebook user um names from us unless i can unless uh unless they fill out their information or whatever um so i don't know who this is but if you're in the chat you can let me you can let me know who this is but i think this is a really good question that we that picks up right where we're leaving off with this discussion before we transition into the next one and it is can you be evil if you're the only person left alive so I'll let you answer that question first because I have a take on that. But I, want, I want to hear what you have to say. Can you be uh, evil if you're the only person left alive? It depends on the standard, right? Mm. I mean, mm. based on the standard, I don't even know what the standard is in this show. So it's hard to answer that. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. certainly seems like it has more to do with how you treat people. So I guess maybe in that sense, no. Mm. Um in the sense of uh, the Christian faith, I would say yes, you can yeah. be. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. If evil is all wrapped up in how you treat other people, then ah, maybe even then, like just because you don't have anybody to be evil towards doesn't mean you wouldn't if you could. So yeah. I don't know. So I'll give you, I'll give you two extra answers to this. Because by the way, this is from Dale, Dale Wentland, our, our buddy. Um, oh dale yeah in fact dale's gonna be on this show by the way special preview dale's gonna be on the show in a couple weeks so nice. um special thanks to dale for being on the show and also for asking this question this is a good question so i think the answer to this question is yes and I'll, here i'll tell you why i think it's yes um because i don't think that i don't think that imperfection so so there's two things that we need to define here are you evil if you make mistakes and some people will answer that question with no, right? No, if you just make mistakes, you're just a human. Like, you're not evil. You're just a human person. I would argue that a mistake is evil because it has an effect, right? It has a rippling effect on other people that you, did, you didn't maybe intend evil, but it's a, it's a mistake to drink too much and drive. And if you kill somebody else, is that person not, did they not do something that was evil? Like we would call that as evil. Maybe we wouldn't say like, oh man, they did something that we would... Now, I also believe that most evil people do things that we would also do put in certain put in certain circumstances that we should not be in. But I think that we can be evil to the environment, right? And I think that if you're a spiritual person, you could make a very clear argument that you can be evil to God. So if you believe in God, you can be evil to God. Um, and I think that we inherently do things that are even even mistakes that we make can be evil and i think that like for example the 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 example that i gave when we started this conversation about seeing the lady driving with the dog on her on her lap well she's not committing that evil against another human being not well evil i mean i'm not i don't want to label this lady see that sounds so harsh but but she's she's making a decision that's maybe not the best decision for that dog right and i would argue that well just as we should be gracious just as we should be kind, just as we should be loving to each other, 
we owe that to our environment as well. We owe that to animals as well. So uh, I don't know if there's a way to, I don't believe that there's a way to remove evil from anyone's potential future or their actual past. I don't think there's a way to remove evil from the scenario that we find ourselves in. Because I also think that you could say that even though the world is set up, uh, this is just something that you and I probably would believe, Daryl, but maybe not everybody would believe this. The fact that there are natural disasters is to a certain extent evil. It is a result of what we would say, the way we would, we would define this is God allows things to happen in the world and some of the things that he allows, whether it's human caused or just a natural consequence of our entire creation be, being subject to um, sin, which you could be called evil. I think that that those things, I mean, when a natural disaster kills thousands of people, that's evil, right? Like, that's not what we want to happen. That's that's like devastating for families. It's devastating for communities. It's devastating for us. So, yeah, I, I don't, I think that you can be evil even if you're the only person left alive. <laughs> but that's a heady question. I love that question, Dale. That's a fantastic question. Um, all right, so let's move on from uh, from Moon Knight, which was a great discussion. Thanks, everybody, for for listening, and, and thanks, Daryl, for joining me on that. Now, when you go online, you can find... This is a good transition, because we're talking about gods. We're talking about the way that the world is set up. You go online, you can find a bunch of things about Marvel power rankings. And I went through and I was looking through multiple people taking all of the characters that have ever existed in the Marvel comics and making power rankings and associating them. And I thought to myself, because this is what's happening, right? Um, what's happening is in our world today, or in the, in the MCU world today, as the MCU draws more characters into its fold from the comics it starts to get very confusing as to where does everybody fit? Now, the reason why this question came up in my mind was I'm watching this show about Egyptian gods and I'm going, does that mean that Khonshu has the same power level as Thor or is he like above Thor or is he below Thor? And then where do we get like Dormammu's interdimensional being? We have um, celestials now that seem incredibly powerful. So so, so basically, Daryl, what I wanted to do was I just wanted to talk through this talk through this scenario where we can say, I have three questions for you. I sent these to you in advance. So this is going to be a fairly open conversation, but let's start with this. Who are kind of like the bottom tier entities in the Marvel cinematic? Who are the people that are like, okay, they're not super powered. Maybe they're lower level powered. If we're thinking about this. Oh boy. There's so many qualifications to this. So like, <laughs> I know, I know it's not going to be perfect, <laughs> but just let us say this. I would love to hear your comments uh, in the thoughts below on this be, or in the, in the, in the comments below, because, because this is going to be very complex and we're not going to be able to do this justice. So just, just caveat upon caveat upon <laughs> caveat. Um, but I still want to talk about it because I think it's kind of a fascinating kind of topic as we look at like who's entering the, because we're going to get, we're going to get uh, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. And that's going to be bonkers. You can tell by the, by the previews. Mm -hmm. So these things are interesting to me. So what would you say, who are some of the least powerful entities in the, in the MCU? So, okay. A couple qualifications, I guess I have to ask about okay. for our purposes, for our imperfect discussion about this. Um, are we considering people who have no inherent power whatsoever and get their quote unquote power from tools like Iron Man, stuff like that? So let's, or does let's it do have to be some sort of 
supernatural power that's within them. Well, let's let's say this. Let's say this. Let's say that Tony Stark, and, and I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna say this, and I'm and I don't want to follow this line of thinking because this would be way too complicated. But Tony Stark without the Iron Man suit is just a dude, right? Yeah. Like, like so I would say that that like like you know, um to me, there's like human level lower power. And that's like Hawkeye. He's just really he's really good at what he does. But it, it, so so I think that Tony Stark without the suit fits into that category. But Tony Stark with the suit probably bumps him up a little bit. So I, that's kind of how I would define that a little bit. Is just okay. if we have this conversation. Because if you follow that line of thinking, if you remove people who are just using tools per yeah, se, yeah, yeah, you have to take Doctor Strange out of it. Interesting. Because in reality, he has no power. He's a normal guy who learned the mystic arts. Mm. So that has two implications to it. One, technically he has no power within him himself. Yeah. And two, that means anybody can be as powerful as Dr. <laughs> Strange, which is yeah, frightening. True. Which is crazy. So, yeah. But if we're not going down that rabbit hole, then um, yeah, I mean, I would put the lower tier as being those characters that are dependent on some sort of tool in the moment. Mm. Mm, to give mm. them their power. So your Iron Man's, your War Machines. I would even put Captain America in that oh, in that category because it's something. It's a chemical inside of his body that makes him that way. Mm. Um, I would say the same thing about Black Panther. Mm. You know, without the heart shaped herb, he's just a normal dude. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of where my head fell on that. Is if you can remove from the person what makes them powerful mm. for me they kind of fall on that lower tier lowest tier yeah yeah actually i think that's a really good distinction to make because um it just occurs to me that like that's what makes so many of the marvel characters inherently interesting to us is that they are us just with a slight change in their life, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you're this, you're, you're this person. And then boom, this happens to you. And now you're, now you're part of the Avengers. Um, Cause even, even Peter Parker, right? Like even Peter Parker is not, he's a lower tiered. He doesn't inherently have that. He has to get bit by a spider before he really has those things. Yeah. But you can't take it away from him. As far as I know, there's no way to. That's take, true. Take Peter's power away. You can't like, like with Tony, you take him out of the suit. He's done. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. Steve Rogers, take the serum out of his blood. Normal guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, I don't think you can do that with Spider-Man. But yeah, maybe not. Based on oh. what he does, it seems like his power is only his strength. And, mm. and well, mm. I guess in his ability to cling to things. But <laughs> yeah, and depending on whether or not you, which one you follow, maybe shooting things out of your wrist or not, or building yeah. something that shoots things out of your wrist. Um, that's that's really interesting. Um. So, I, sorry, I was. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. Like, let's let's go ahead and talk about what the middle tier characters yeah. are then, because because like obviously like what what you just based on the the description that we just came up with, a bunch of the lower tier characters could be considered almost approaching the middle tier when they have their accoutrement. <laughs> activated right like uh so so but who is who's solidly in the mi middle tier because they were that their power is innate right yeah yeah um i think this is where you can put characters like the eternals uh. um because 
you know, the, the, the Eternals, they made him seem like these all-powerful, like, why didn't you help fight Thanos and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. If you look at each individual Eternal, which, by the way, spoiler for the Eternals movie, if you have not seen it. Yeah. Okay, I gave you enough time. They're all robots. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not even they're not even beings. They're robots in the sense. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind so, of true. And they each have most of them have one power, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. So each one individually is not gonna be like a top-tier powered character. Right, right. I totally so, agree with that. Because maybe I think... Icarus, because he's got he's kind of like the Marvel version of Superman, but still. I wouldn't put any of them at the top. Well, I don't think I would either. So, so you get the Eternals in the middle. I think I'd put Thor in the middle, right? Like any of the any of the Norse gods that have they're inherently imbued with their power. They're born with their power. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, Thor has Millionaire or uh, what is the other one? Storm, Storm Stormbreaker. Yeah, but he as has... we saw in in uh, Ragnarok, he doesn't need them. Exactly. Exactly. He, he's still the god of thunder. With or exactly. without those tools. Exactly. And this is where you'd find Captain Marvel going from a lower tier, maybe even into the middle tier, if you were if you were to give her that, um, give her her abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, that middle tier makes up what I would basically call like, uh, and by the way, I saw some of the people online in their lists do really compelling arguments for like wh- how many tiers there are and why there's this many tiers and like who falls into what tier. Um, but see, that's for the comics. They haven't, we haven't gotten into that in the MCU yet. So we're still yeah. trying to, we're still trying to figure this out. Cause I, I would agree that the, that the Eternals fit in the middle tier. Thor fits in the middle tier. Um, some of the other heroes that we talked about being in the lower tier who, ha- who have the thing with them already kind of fit in the second tier. But this is where it gets interesting. Like the Egyptian gods to me, the Egyptian gods don't inherently feel more powerful than Thor is. But they're then imbuing the characters below them, like Moon Knight, with so he seems like a lower character based on the definition that we were just talking about. But the Egyptian gods seem like they're not any more powerful than the Eternals might be. Well, as we've as Moon Knight has shown us thus far, it doesn't seem like the Egyptian gods can do much of anything without an avatar, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh they it would seem they have some mental influence obviously right right. which can be extremely dangerous i mean if there's one eternal that's more powerful than the rest i would probably give it to druig because he can Mm. control people's minds oh yeah yeah you know thousands and thousands at a time but but physical physically powerful we haven't seen the egyptian gods do anything other than control some crazy people so far yeah yeah and by the way just because you brought him up um there are people who are now marvel and dc characters he's one of them right like he he's joker sort of. and yeah he's he wasn't joker in the movie but yeah yeah <laughs> sort of in the in the end but deleted scene. um but uh then we also then you also have characters who are multiple mcu characters so our oscar isaac is three different mcu characters <laughs> yeah so it's pretty wild it's, it's kind of fun it's good we live in a bizarre world where you can say yeah i'm part of the dc universe and i'm part of the the marvel universe um so so now let's talk about let's talk about celestials let's talk about dormammu let's talk about ego um i guess you could even bring in uh the the ai that gives 
Captain or that is involved in Captain Marvel's powers. Like now, those seem to oh, me the like the supreme intelligence. The supreme intelligence. Those seem to me like they're above the middle tier. Yes. However, mm. I think this gets back to what we were talking about with Moon Knight too. Mm. Um, they all do seem to be of that physical prowess of that level of power. Yeah. But they also seem to be completely hindered by whatever their context context is. Like, yes, ah. celestials, they create planets. They destroy planets. Like, that's yeah. insanely powerful. Yeah. But why? Like, <laughs> what are they thinking about? Like, what's behind that? Um, so, yes, they may be all powerful, but they're also seemingly only doing it for the case of creating or destroying. It's... Mm. It's so weird. It's like they're insanely powerful, but kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, they don't seem so, like they have which, a lot of free will to do whatever they want to. They kind of just got to do yeah, whatever, which, they're, whatever they do. To me, if you take seemingly limitless, we don't understand it yet, levels of power, yeah, and pair it with somebody who struggles with things like compassion and redemption and understanding other people, Right, you get what is probably the most powerful being to me in the MCU, which is Wanda Maximoff. Ah, interesting. I, I was gonna interesting. Wanda's the most powerful being in the MCU. So here's here's I'm gonna go um, potentially. I'm gonna go. I'm. I think there might be one being that is more powerful than. Okay, so this is actually, I think Dale brought up, Dale brings up a good point. Yeah, to Kevin Feige, yeah. yeah. No, I was Dale, Dale kind of was leading off with what I was just going to talk about because it feels to me like Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet is whoever has the Infinity Gauntlet, but especially Thanos, <clears throat> seems like the most powerful character in the entire MCU. Yeah, but then again, based on what we're talking about, that actually puts Thanos way down at the bottom tier. Or maybe at the second, because he's super strong without yeah. the Infinity Gauntlet. But again, that's a tool, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. So this would be interesting. Is like so because the the Infinity Gauntlet by definition, like let's just let's just take any other character and put them up against. Because Dale Dale here says, "What about Tony Stark? Tony Stark with the Infinity Gauntlet? Wouldn't he yeah. be similar?" Or Hulk it, with the Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, exactly. And it, and I would argue that those characters, given the any character given the Infinity Gauntlet. Because you have omniscience, you have all power, you have the ability to change time and space. Like even Dormammu, who is annoyed by Doctor Strange, right? Like, Do Doctor Strange beats Dormammu not because he's any stronger, but because he is able to to use time in a way that Dormammu is not able to overcome. Yeah. But Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, it's like you want to go back in time, bro. Let's go. We, we can go as far as you want. Like he could have reversed some of the things that Doctor Strange was trying to do. So it'll be interesting to see if the MCU can, if if they're going to, or even if they want to, create another powered level that is Affinity Gauntlet level power, right? Like because that's the ultimate yeah. power. Well, it seems like Kang the Conqueror might be up there. Mm. Mm. We'll see. Yes, we got. We're gonna have Galactus at some point too, right? Like Galactus is gonna be in the MCU. It's like we have to. I mean, if we if we yeah. get the Fantastic Four, we'll definitely have Galactus. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But again, so, Galactus is another one of those ones that has this gigantic. He's a world eater. He's got this gigantic power, and he's huge. But why? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what's interesting too is we haven't seen some of the characters that are in the comics universe because because there's there's this inherent this is what's really fascinating to me is that like the MCU can kind of say we'll bring in the Egyptian gods and the only way that they're really truly able to do that is because we kind of don't view the Egyptian gods as being real. Like if we're being honest with ourselves, like there's some might be some people that worship them, but generally in the West, and we're making move these movies in the West. Generally speaking, we don't believe the Egyptian gods are real. We believe they are fiction, and because of that, they can include them. Because I was just thinking about this, and like like, you know, we we know that Captain America has a. We don't know what his specific belief system is, but it's definitely Judeo-Christian leaning. As yeah. the founders of America kind of leaned, so we There's hear him pray to God, and he doesn't dress like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 that kind of viewpoint would suggest that there's a being over everything. And actually, there is in the Marvel comics because in my research, I realized that there's like the one above all, right? Who is like this? I don't even know if they ever describe who he is or what he does, but it's like, you know. So, but then you have all these lesser beings, and you have things like you have beings like Mephisto, which is. You know, Mephisto is going to probably be acting a little bit more like what you'd call like the devil, right? In some in some ways, because Mephisto and the devil kind of go hand in hand yeah, in, in yeah. other myth mythologies. But again, because those in the West are beliefs that like people still hold, it creates this really strange dynamic where you can't really introduce them at all because it's like, no, that would be like too weird to introduce them. It's like, but we can take these other characters and say that they're just kind of super powered. Because I think at the end of the day, this is what's interesting about mythology is that, and this is this is the impetus for this conversation really, is that mythology says that the gods are intra-universe. They're a part of an existing universe. Mm -hmm. Whereas many religions would view God as extra-universe, right? Like, and having Cre created the universe. Having created the universe. Yeah. So so you immediately take that, like, that any characters that exist in this world are immediately un unproportionately powered to that god, right? So so you have to do, do this intra-universe god creation, character creation. And it's very fascinating to see how the MCU is is managing that overall. And it's... Yeah. It's, I would say overall it's it's pretty fun and it's and it's been doing I think they've been doing a pretty good job. What do you think? Yeah, I think I mean it's it's hard because if you really dig into it and really mm -hmm. look at how you would maybe approach it in real life, it's radically flawed. But it's also <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also super fun, great stuff to watch. Some of my favorite things are in the MCU. Like yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. But you know, like any universe, like it's fun to talk about this in the context of movies because this has been a problem with comics for decades, but is escalation. Like, mm. it's like, well, we have this most powerful being in, in this story and now we want to tell a bigger story and make an even bigger threat for our heroes. So we have to come up with something bigger, but that means we need a hero who's big enough to go against that. And it just keeps going and going and going to the point where eventually you have this gigantic mess of characters that your reader or in this case your viewer knows can do way more than you're showing them doing right and then suddenly you have the superman problem which is why it's so hard <laughs> to tell a story with superman because he should be able to pretty much do anything 
or right. deal with anything. And it's so hard to create something that is a real problem for him. Right. Right. You know? And so yeah. it's, it's kind of the same thing in the Marvel universe. The farther they go, the more we get of this and the harder it becomes to manage. Like I was looking at some of these same lists and some videos and stuff like that. And it's really interesting that a lot of the ones that I see that are recent will put Wanda way at the top of the list. Uh, but ones that came out before Endgame or before WandaVision mm -hmm. would put her pretty far down the list. Yeah. Because they just hadn't introduced what she did in WandaVision yet. And right. the fact that her power maybe didn't completely come from the Mind Stone. Maybe she had something in her before that. Right. And we don't fully understand it. And obviously she can do insanely crazy things that we don't know yet. So <laughs> right, right. that's the problem of expanding the universe is eventually it's just going to be completely unmanageable. But yeah, as long as you tell fun stories and they're engaging, that's okay. That's true. Going back to Moon Knight really quickly, um, I did find it very interesting that... Uh, one of the things that Arthur Harrow said to Stephen was he says, you have a lot of chaos in you. Now, chaos is a mm -hmm. generic term, right? Like, he could mean that mm -hmm. you have dis dissociative disorder, and so you have lots of personalities in you, or whatever he means. But part of me thought to myself for a second, like, are they suggesting that he, like, there's chaos magic that is something to do oh, with what yeah. with what is going on with, with him? Because it would be really fascinating if that were true, then it means that he would actually not need to rely on Conchu Conchu's maybe a, a a vehicle for him to to draw on his strength, but it doesn't. If it, if the chaos is actually in him, the chaos magic is actually in him. He could do some of those things without having Conchu involved at all, which would be really interesting. Another little connection like that. I don't remember if it was Conchu or Ahmet, but mm. we saw the part where one of them like hit their staff on the ground, and yes. and Harrow was talking about how there's a little sliver of power. Yep. In yep. that staff, it was all pink. Yeah. It was purple. Purple, yeah. Like Power Stone purple. So, exactly. Exactly. Who yeah, who knows? That's really cool. Well, Daryl, um, I am going to talk a little bit more about the history of Death of a Bounty Hunter, but it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Let's do this again real soon. Um, anything now, I don't know that you're you're are you promoting anything these days? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm pretty I'm sort of podcast retired at this point. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, except, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, well, I will say that the the most fun that we ever had on the podcast was when it was early on, you and me just reaching out to people we never thought would be on the show. They're coming on the show talking to us about things. Yeah. Um, that was all kinds of fun. So thank you for your history with the Story Geeks and uh, don't be a stranger. You, you Basically, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come on the show, you just tell me and you're Throw out. Throw it out, I'll catch them. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Well, uh, we'll tell the family I said hi and have a have a fantastic rest of your day, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. Of course. Bye. Bye. All right. So I'm going to transition now into um, what I'm doing on each show is on Tuesdays, I'm talking a little bit about or reading from Death of a Bounty Hunter. And then on Thursdays, I'm giving you a little bit of background into like how the story came about in the first place. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today. Eventually, I will find the first ever script I wrote. So, so I'll, and I'll actually read some of that script to you so you can compare where Death of the Bounty Hunter is now comparative to that script. 
Um, but I don't have that yet. I was able to find a, an old version of the script. But let me let me go back in history and talk to a little bit about how many different versions of Death of a Bounty Hunter there are. So in 2022, Death of a Bounty Hunter has been released as it's kind of behind my microphone here. If you're watching Death of a Bounty Hunter has been released as a book, as a novel. You can purchase it on Amazon. It's about to be released as a full cast audiobook. So we have a full cast of actors acting out the different roles. It sounds very similar to an audio drama, but it's not as um, the difference between an audio book and an audio drama is that an audio drama is often very sound focused and you need to prompt uh, people's minds with what sounds you produce. That's not as true with Death of a Bounty Hunter. We have actors that are uh, you hear their internal monologue. So, you know, instead of saying like he instead of instead of having a door noise when he enters the room, he just tells you he enters the room. Right. Um, and I prefer that from a stylistic perspective. And so that's why we went in that direction. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go back to like all the iterations of what Death of a Bounty Hunter used to be. And hopefully at some point in time, I'll actually showcase those to you on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. But the first iteration of Death of a Bounty Hunter came because I was part of a um, screenwriting contest. And in the screenwriting contest, they gave us basically a prompt. I believe that prompt was, um, I can't remember the exact, it was a verse from the Bible. The prompt was a verse from the Bible. And, and basically what the, the contest wanted you to do is that the contest wanted you to create a story around the philosophical premise of that particular verse. And that particular verse was, um, if you're going to give a gift at the altar, so this is a gift to God that you're laying forth at an altar, um, then you should first go and be reconciled to your your human that you offended, um, a, a human that you offended. So be reconciled first before you try to get reconciliation with with God. And the basic question there is like, why would that be the case, right? Why would we think that we would need reconciliation with fellow humans before we would ask it from from god interesting interesting premise to deal with right and so what that morphed into was i wrote a short film and the short film was about a cowboy who who had done something wrong and then was thinking to himself like i'm going to try and escape from this scenario and the the concept i was asking in my head and and, and somebody asked me about this on twitter yesterday and so I'll tell you my philosophy for, for writing stories like this. And this comes from hearing other people talk about it too. So this is not just my original theory, but realizing that Ryan Johnson and uh, Scott Derrickson had some wisdom to share on this specific topic. Um, and that was related to, it's better to not assume that you know the answer when you start writing. I'm paraphrasing, right? They didn't say this exactly, but... It's better to actually use your writing process as a means by which to explore whether or not something could be true, as opposed to assuming you know what's true and just writing that, because then you won't learn all of the nuances that make a story more realistic to the shared human experience. And so that's that was very true about this, because I had to ask myself, like, why would this spiritual book say you must be re reconciled to your fellow humans before you're reconciled to God. Like, why would that be a thing? Because a lot of times you'll hear from people like, only God can judge me. Almost like, I don't need to be reconciled to you because I, I can do whatever I want to because I'm reconciled to God. But that's not what this verse is saying, right? This verse is saying, no, 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 no. Before you think you, that you, before that you, before you assume you can just get forgiveness from God, um, not that it's saying you don't, you can't, but it's also saying, but you need to, like there's an important part, part of forgiveness that is being, 
forgiven. And, and so I had to ask myself, like, why that is. And so what Death of a Bounty Hunter started to become over time, um, as I went through, I went through a script version, I turned that script into a prose short story. That prose short story became a different prose short story. I actually released that that story on Amazon for sale, got feedback on it. Basically, they told me um, it's a weird Western, but it could be a lot weirder. So Nathan and I went back to the drawing board and we're like, let's make it weirder. Let's make it super weird. And so we started adding all this like bizarre, these bizarre qualities to it. And eventually we got over to, to Death of a Bounty Hunter. So over the course of this series, I'll be talking a little bit about all of those steps and how those came about. But, but back to the premise, the premise I was exploring has never changed. And it is this concept of when we are, when we do things that hurt other people, we tend to have to want to have two responses that are not the ideal responses, in my opinion. This is coming from me trying to explore this issue in greater depth, and maybe you have a different take on it, and I'd love to hear your take on it. So let me know if you have a different take. But one of the, the two responses I think we tend to have is we want we we prefer to justify our behavior and say, no, 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 no. I really wasn't in the wrong, or like I was justified for being in the wrong because this person did this to me, or that person did this to me, or whatever. So we either try to justify our behavior, or we try and avoid the consequences of the behavior. We try to avoid the person that we may be hurt, that we may be injured. We try and say like, I'm just going to remove myself from that situation. Now, why would the spiritual book talk about this issue as if that were not the way to go? As if it were like, no, you should go to the person. You should go back to the person. And, I've, and I thought a lot about that as I was creating this, this story, which is, by the way, a crazy story. There's tons of action in it. And there's a guy with a Gatling gun for an arm. Um, but this is at the heart of it, right? I started thinking about that thematically and I started thinking, well, what happens to us? Not just the other person that we injured, but what happens to us when we don't go to that person? And the truth is that there's always going to be something that's lingering if we don't go to the person. There's always going to be this like disconnect between us and them. And that's a messy process, but if I think that if if we run away from it and, and assume that it never happened, then we miss the opportunity for engagement. We miss the opportunity to, to reconnect. We miss the opportunity to reconcile with that other human being. And that eats away at us over time. And then we can justify it ourselves. We can justify it. And by the way, I've justified a ton of things that I've done over the years that um, that I probably should not have done. I should, probably should have reconciled in some way, shape, or form. But I justified. Like, oh, I should have. I that person was being a jerk, so it's okay that I did whatever I did. Um, and so I think that ultimately, what the what I came to believe as I uh, uh, tried to explore the story was that running hurts us justifying ourselves hurts us as much as it does anybody else or the community that we're involved in. That's kind of what I, what I, what I've uh, ally, uh, aligned with in my thinking. And I've done that because as I tested this with the character in the story, the main character is Flint, by the way, main character named Flint from the very first time I ever picked up uh, anything to start writing the story. It's always been about Flint. Um, same, same character. Some of the other characters names have changed drastically. And I'll talk about that in later episodes too. But in this book, the question was about 
what happens if we don't reconcile to other people and just assume that we can reconcile and reconcile to God? Because because I do think that from a from a spiritual perspective, you can reconcile to God anytime. You don't need to go to a person to be reconciled to God. But what but what that book is saying, what that passage is saying is it's the best way to do it. You should go to the person first because you get a chance to actually build a relationship back up and it, and it actually it helps you because the the gap that you feel like you created with that person um needs to be resolved essentially uh and dale's dale brings up a really good point here too um here i can show the comment too i forgot to show his other ones there is no path to forgiveness if you run away from from conflict and that's exactly right if you run away from conflict if you take this as your by the way, Dale Wentland is the is the guy here who's commenting. If you if you run from a thing, or if you justify yourself, then there will never be a shared human connection. This is why we go to. This is why we, we're talking about war on Tuesday. War is top of mind because we have what's going on in the in the in Russia and the Ukraine, and um, justifying your behavior and not going to the to the people who you believe are doing wrong is what results in wars. If you think about it, that is the ultimate, it's the ultimate thing, right? Like, no, these people must be eradicated. I refuse. I am justifying my own behavior and there can be no other consequence except to eradicate these people. And now you get into the same questions we were asking with Moon Knight, right? Like who will, who says you get to er eradicate people and who says you're not guilty of some crime that you should be eradicated for? So, so that's a little bit of a background premise as to how Death of a Bounty Hunter came out. It came from this this contest, this 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 screenwriting contest that I did. That 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 script made the top ten, by the way. Um, the script for the original script for Death of a Bounty Hunter. It was not called that back then. It was called the Silver Cross. Um, was what it was called back then. Um, which I'll again, I will read that to you on a future episode because I want. Uh, I, I'd love to to have you see the 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 building blocks of what became Death of a Bounty Hunter. But in the meantime, you can buy Death of a Bounty Hunter on Amazon right now. And then pretty soon we will have the full cast audiobook. I'm in the final editing process right now. Like literally, Isadora Nieves is our is our sound engineer. I'm going to give him the final edits this week. Hopefully I can finish it this week. And then he's going to take those files, give them back to me. And I'm going to post them up onto ACX, which is basically allows us to put it on Audible. And it'll be on audible as well which is really cool so that is it for today's show special thanks to dale for hanging out with us special thanks to daryl smith for hanging out with me as well and talking about moon knight and the mcu and the power rankings of the mcu in general just remember all new episodes will be coming out on tuesday and thursday throughout april and may uh, i was just talking to a really amazing podcast producer at one of the top podcasts in the in the entire world <laughs> top one of the top 50 podcasts the executive producer was was willing to talk to me and um, one of the things she was telling me was that consistency is really really important and i go yeah yeah that's totally true so maybe i'll go beyond april and may doing the two episodes a week i'll try i'll try my best but uh in april and may for sure tuesdays and thursdays at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, which means you're on, if you're on the uh, Pacific Coast, that's a 10 a.m. start. And if you're on the East Coast, it's a 1 a.m. or the 1 p.m. start. And um, it'll be, yeah, it'd be really fun to keep talking about these things. Next Tuesday, Michael Gordon, the co-host of the ESO podcast, will be joining me to talk about episode one of Tokyo Vice. It's something that I really want to get into. In fact, I think that when 
when uh, Dale joins me later in the month, we're going to be talking about Tokyo Vice as well, one of the future episodes. So we're going to be digging deeper into that. And then also, um, I think Mike and I will talk a little bit more on Tuesday about Death on the Nile, which came out, if you didn't know, Death on the Nile came out on HBO Max. So you can now watch Death on the Nile on HBO Max. So listen to that or watch that movie before you listen on Tuesday because we'll probably get into some, some spoilers there. And part of that conversation, I think, is going to be about maybe why that movie didn't land as well as it maybe could have based on a, on an Agatha Christie book, which is, you know, that's a big deal. Agatha Christie is one of the most popular authors in the history of mankind, by the way, based on the number of books that she sold. And, uh, but that movie, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Tuesday. So subscribe to the show on YouTube or on your preferred podcast provider. Episodes are published to the podcast feed right after I finish recording them on YouTube. So I'm going to literally go, publish this episode right to the podcast feed you can listen to it over there leave us a comment and let you know what what you thought about new moon Knight, the episode one or episode two now and uh, i'll try and read those comments on the next show thanks for joining in and we will see you on tuesday <laughs>